Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Joining us today is Perry Moffmer, uh, who is the founder of Moffmer and Company LLC. Perry is a guest that has been on with us before in the early, early days, and he's back with us. A little bit about Perry is that Moffmer and Company LLC is a human potentiality consultancy that focuses exclusively on inspiring and empowering leaders to create a better world for themselves their families, their communities, and their organizations, and does an integrated set of offerings centered on community, clarity, and coalition. So with that, Perry, welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. Thanks a lot, Eric. Happy to be here. Well, as I've said to Jeff, hello, Jeff, again. Good to see you. Um, We've been talking about, we need to get Perry back. We need to get Perry back. And of course, time just flies on by, and we didn't get it done, but you're here. So we're, we're happy about that. Um, one of the things that I mentioned to you, Perry, earlier on when I sent the invitation is that we wanted to get an update on relentless leadership. Obviously, the concept of that, maybe for our audience, it'll be a refresh as to what that's all about, because it's not just a business model or anything. I know you well enough that it's more than that. And then certainly I want to hear about how it's being applied inside of the worlds that you run. And then we've got some other very tasty questions and commentary, right? <laughs> right. See, Jeff is yes. laughing. He's he's prepared. So, Perry, tell us a little bit. Relentless leadership for, let's start from kind of the beginning. What's that all about? All right. So I define it as the intentional exploration of the art and science of positively impacting the emotional states of those we care about. Wow. So that's a good... Um, that's a good set of ideas. Um, one of the things that struck me about this, I remember the first time you told me you were going to start embarking on this journey. I'm going, man, he's consciously saying it's a few. And I remember it kind of kind of got me a little like uncomfortable because you know how this is, right? You want to believe that everyone, oh, certainly everybody, but you were making the argument that not that every, you know, not that the majority of people are not going to ever do anything of value, but to get to this place of where leadership is being led in a, or is being exhibited in a high level, is it the few? Is that, that what you were saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Now, I will agree with you. Um, so there's a little phrase, all can, most won't, few do. Ooh, right? That's so lovely. You're right. Everybody can. This is the, in fact, my goal is to, is to, is to instigate, provoke people to understand that they have both the capability and duty to be the leader they were meant to be. But that's a choice. 
Like everybody's not going to choose that. And that's okay, by the way. Like there's no judgment in anything we talk about. Right. So if they don't want to, that's fine. But most certainly everybody can. Every, and my one of the premises I work on is that everybody has what it takes for them to be a leader already inside of them. Yes. Um, I, I guess in some ways um, I was looking, oddly enough, here comes the musical reference, Jeff. So All sorry, right. I, I couldn't get around it. And I'm, I think the audience is probably getting tired of me just saying that they're just kind of expecting it now, I would mm-hmm. imagine. So I see this photograph of one of my favorite drummers, Steve Gadd. Okay, who is a monster of a drummer. He's played for Eric Clapton and fill in the bank. James Taylor, you go through the list, but he's phenomenal. He's got to be close to, he's got to be close to 70, maybe even a little older. But I looked at him in this photograph. Perry, he looks phenomenal. I mean, he's just, he's in shape. He's like, I mean, there's this glow about him. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen other pictures, some in my family, <laughs> right, where it's like, Wow. <laughs> you know, and this is no judgment if you're not in shape. I'm not that's not not my point here. It's just that I think he must have taken a conscious intentional view of his health to some degree. I mean, obviously I haven't interviewed him. I don't know exactly what he's done, but it appears so is that kind of where we're going with this too? It is a decision. Well, everything is, right? And mm-hmm. leadership requires a great deal of energy. And so, you know, in all of the, in, in some of the other stuff that I do with Vistage groups, we always have at least one speaker a year that comes in to talk about health because right. it's, it's sleep, it's what you eat, it's if you get exercise because you can't pour from an empty cup. And so, you know, when, you're, when your car runs out of gas, you don't will it to keep running, <laughs> right? right? But yet routinely leaders will, you know, not get enough sleep not take care of themselves and just continue to think, well, I have to get this done. I'll just power through the next week. I'll just power through. And ultimately that doesn't work. It's not, uh, I I use two words for people always when they come up with strategies, sustainable and scalable. Hmm. I have to be able to do it over a long period of time and I have to be able to build onto it, right? So whenever we're thinking about something we're gonna do, we should really think about, is this sustainable over time and is it scalable? Is it a solid enough foundation I can build on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's powerful. Um, so, when you look at um, the worlds in which you run within, let's keep for now in, in, with relentless leadership. How's the reception to the ideas, the concepts, and whatnot been for you? Oh, fantastic! I mean, I've spent the last well since since we were together last. I've been let's see, I've had two companies graduate. So, back to the few, right? Yes. Yeah. So I make it purposefully challenging for people to do it. So it's a 17, it's a 17 month program, right? Part of that is because I, I really did a lot of research around neuroscience and how we learn. And there has to be some spacing involved. Like in my opinion, sending somebody to a one or two day seminar is like lighting paper on lighting your money on fire, right? It's, it's just, you know, the forgetting curve, you're going to up this and then you're done, right? You don't yeah. remember anything. Yeah. And so, Part of this is spacing, it's for it's retention. It's really trying to learn something. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons. And the other is I wanted them to commit because we're going, you know, I, I tell people it's like an odyssey, you know, a long, dangerous journey. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're gonna embark on. And at the end of the 17 months is actually the beginning of the odyssey. It's not the end, it's the beginning. Yep. You know, we've just prepped everybody and now they can actually go because it's an individual odyssey. Like you have to now move forward on your own with all of the concepts because everything we talk about too is 
descriptive, not prescriptive. So nothing I do is telling you how to do anything. Mm -hmm. That's why I call it an intentional exploration because all we're going to do is explore concepts. We're going to talk about what those mean to everybody individually and collectively. So I've had two companies graduate, uh, two leadership teams, and then I've got currently four in it. In it. Um, mm. And what's awesome about it is it, the groups we have together, it doesn't matter what the reporting structure is or what level people are in an organization because there's nothing we're talking about in there that you can't talk about with somebody that you report to or somebody that reports to you. When you set out to introduce the program, um, did you apply, what were the sort of the criteria for determining who you would approach about it as Any, it relates to the business model? Uh, anybody who is interested. And, <laughs> and I mean, no, and what I mean by that isn't from a selling standpoint, it's I wanted you know, there's an old uh, there's an old Zen saying when the when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always I, I think when the concept when the people are ready, the concept appears like the solution appears to people when they're primed for it. And so I haven't sold this yet. Yeah. People it, people at they're like I'm struggling. Actually, it, it came out of the fact that I'm talking to lots of leaders and they're 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 complaining. They're saying. I'm struggling because I can't get people to understand this or to lead or to, and, and my question back to them was, well, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean by leadership in your organization? Yeah. And there was no response. It was just kind of a blank stare. It was like, well, it's just what it means. All right. Well, that might be part of the challenge. Yeah. I go back to when you talked about, um, when they're in this program, that it's something that everybody can talk about mm -hmm. to each other. Yeah. How much of a problem is it to get over the uh, hierarchy or, you know, I'm the boss, you're the employee, so you, you know what I'm saying. No, I, I understand completely. And it's uh, psychological safety, right? Mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to have psychological safety in that environment. And that's one of the things I do, the, the orientation, if you want to call it the orientation meeting, is everybody has to commit to that. Like, that's part of what I... I talked to them about, it. I'm like, you guys have to, you guys have to be okay with this and you have to, you have to genuinely be okay with it. And it's been transformational. I mean, I've had companies where we sat in a meeting, there was 15 people and, and one of the people turned to their, their supervisor and said, I don't believe you. I think the only reason you come talk to me is because you want me to get my work done. I don't believe you care about me. <laughs> and the other person took it. And said, well, that's not true. And, and I don't, I'm, we have to do something about that because I don't want you to feel like that. So, so how much of your program is built on this communication part of it? Uh, well, there's two, there's actually two components now. We can get to the, the you know, the, the, we can get to one of them later. I have actually created a product that an individual can just go ahead and access on their own if they want to do it on their own. The one we're talking about is monthly meetings that I facilitate with the leadership team. And so that's core to it is the communication. Core to it is the open sharing of ideas and what we really feel and not what we talk about when we go back to the office. And the feedback I've gotten from teams is, is it fundamentally changes the way they communicate. Okay. Because they take that back, they take that same ability to be honest and open and transparent with each other back to the office and they can get more done. One of the, the tools that we have in our toolbox from, from EQ is a team vital signs. Mm -hmm. yep. And the center of that is trust. Yep. Yes, absolutely. And 
Terry, when you you mentioned about um, the the not selling of the product is really powerful, and this idea of um, because it'd be easy, right? If you're out there pitching your product, you're always thinking of in terms of who can I get to do, who can I get to choose, and all of that. So that's really refreshing that your idea is that ultimately I'm offering, and if it's right, you'll know it, and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. Um, so what? Where, where do you see for the companies that have graduated? What are some of their aspirations of what will happen now that they've graduated? Is it, oh, Perry, we want part two, or is it let's go ahead and apply some of this and give Perry updates? How does that work? Um, it's still in process, Okay, but, it, but it, it's, it's leaning towards the first one, Okay, which is, you know, we were meeting every month for 17 months and then they're, uh, it's essentially, they're afraid of going cold Turkey yep. uh, on, okay. So they almost weaning themselves. Yeah. A bit. So then we're talking about maybe meeting on a quarterly basis and updates mm. and talking about, you know, what's it look like. And, and to be quite honest with you, the, I envision that, and, and this is when I started it, it's called relentless leadership, right? So the. The mantra that I use for leaders is explore, experiment, evolve. It's mm-hmm. a cycle. Explore, experiment, evolve, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm doing. So uh, I don't envision the actual content staying the same. Mm. Yeah, Because as sure. I go back in and, and as I as I work with people and find new information, the, the content itself is going to be changing. And so there's always going to be, you know, different things that come out of it and, and newer things that update to make the points better than I made them before. And this will blow the minds of some of our audience, maybe a lot of our audience. I remember um, there was an interview with Herbie Hancock, and they were asking him about his time with Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And, and the there, uh, there he is. Yes, mm-hmm. I've, well, I told you, I warned you. <laughs> and he talked about how, um, and and you know, Herbie Hancock was a very methodical, analytical guy. It was kind of like, well, okay, the chart, the progressions, yeah. and then we cue and. That wasn't Miles's way. And he asked him, okay, well, when are we going to rehearse and practice? And he said, when we get on stage tonight. And, he, and it really kind of panicked him a bit because it was like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. Wait, you know, like we're, we're in Stuttgart and there's going to be thousands of people. In your, and, and he said, this is how we evolve yeah. is we, we apply it then. Now, certainly, and audience, please hear me out. I mean, I think it's pretty well known that Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis, John Coltrane, those folks were very, very gifted, talented musicians. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe it's limited to just artists, musicians. I believe, again, if it's the right client, the right team, why can you not do that? Why can it not be iterative? You know? Well, but it, but it has to be. Because so if you if you think of the analogy and I'll go with the golf analogy since the Masters was this weekend. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So and, and golf's probably a great one to do because it's it's most pronounced. If you look at the total amount of time that a professional golfer practices versus plays, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? Ninety five. If you look at the sheer volume of hours, ninety five plus percent of it is practice. Right. And then that's so I can perform at the highest level for the other 5% of the time. Nobody in a leadership role gets that same opportunity. Mm-hmm. You have to practice as you go. Like you you have to practice in real time. Yes. Because I can't, uh, if, if we talk about explore, experiment, evolve, I can't experiment with a new behavior in a vacuum. Exactly. I have to do it 
I have to consciously do it in an interaction with somebody, there's an inherent risk, right? Because I don't know how it's going to go. So I have to be okay with that. Like I have to, first of all, I have to, it's like metacognition. I have to think about thinking, right? Mm -hmm. I have to think about what I'm doing and then I have to consciously decide to behave differently. Because I, to be honest with you, I truly believe that a person's success in their life will be directly proportional to how much they can make their behavior subservient to their goal, mm. right? Wow. Because as a leader, I have to choose my behaviors, not let my behaviors choose my outcomes. Okay, so so in your the program that you're working with people, there's some failure built into it in this experiment? Oh, well, it, so experiment by nature requires failure. That, and that's that's what I have yeah. to get people like and and so I use the scientific method. It's always funny because I say in business we do the opposite. Because scientific method, you come up with a hypothesis and then you work to disprove it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't disprove it, it's correct. And in business we do the exact same the exact opposite. We come up with an idea and then we work like hell to prove it and defend it and make it work no matter what because it's our idea. And so as a leader, we have to take on the experimental side, which is I'm going to experiment, which requires failure. I think there's a big example that everybody's been talking about with Theranos. Well, mm -hmm. and it, but it's but it's that way everywhere. We we all do it every day. Like we, as any leader in an organization, makes a hiring decision, and then they're gonna they're gonna stick with it, stick with it, stick with it because they decided. Like it was their decision, a strategy decision. We're going to go after this market. It's not working. Yes, it will. We just have to keep. But but if we look at that, and that's why it's experiment is purposeful, that word, because experiments require failure. And they fail more than they work. But that's okay. Because we're we're iterating. And we're never done. We're never, I, the tagline I wanted, to, my wife didn't think it was motivating, but the tagline <laughs> I wanted to use for, for relentless leadership was you're done when you're dead. <laughs> you know, I thought it was motivating. She didn't think it was very motivating. But, but, but it's true, though. But, but it goes back to one of, one of my favorite stories is Sisyphus. You know, mm -hmm. the rock, rolling the rock up the hill. And it took, it took hundreds of years until Alfred Camus, uh, Albert Camus in, in the 40s said, time out. This is actually a positive thing. Because when Sisyphus is standing at the top of the mountain, covered in sweat and blood and mud, and he's watching the rock roll back down the hill, at that moment, Sisyphus is happy. Because he got the rock to the top of the hill. It doesn't matter that it rolled back down the hill. And that's us. We all have, to, we all have a rock, right? We, and, and we should be thankful that we have a rock. Kind of pivoting a little bit as we look at the current business environment and those that you interact with, whether they be those who have gone through relentless leadership or in Vistage or just in general, maybe over a beer somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, how are they processing all this rapid change right now? Give me some examples, good and bad or whatever. Well, I think uh, the, the best one that affects that, that seems to be coming up uh, a lot across every industry is uh, back to work. Are we going to bring people back to the office? Mm -hmm. If we are, what are the rules going to be? And, and I talk to about, well, every month I talk to probably 80 plus business leaders in, in Columbus. And I can tell you it's all over the board. How often we're going to do it, if we're going to do it, it's changing. And people want, by and large, one of the, okay, so one of the challenges we face as a leader and as a human is wanting certainty. Yep. Um, and in fact, I would argue that any anxiety we have 
any stress we experience is due for is one reason and one reason only. The world does not do what we want it to do. We have certain expectations and they aren't met, so therefore we have stress. That's entirely on us because we can change our expectations. And and we we are not now, we never have been, and we will never be in control. One of the most liberating rivers to cross for me was when I could say, you know, this is actually really true. Uh, I do not have control over anything. And instead of it being this moment of, okay, what am I going to do? Or, oh my gosh, it was like all this weight. It's like, <laughs> it's like things got lighter. It's a, it's a moment of surrender. Yes. Right. And it's so, but it requires humility. It requires humility to know you're not in control and to be okay with it. Because as a leader, you're not in control. You're not in control of people. You ever try to make somebody do something? I mean, you have positional authority. I can, I, theoretically, I can. I can make you do something, but that just damaged the relationship irreparably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I can influence. Leadership is influence. If nobody's following, nobody's leading. I want to go back to what you just said, because uh, I've heard that definition before many times. Leadership is influence. But when you think about what influence is versus telling and prescribing and pushing, it's really different, right? I mean, what we're doing today is going to have influence. We're, we didn't set this up to say, okay, Perry, tell us, how do we do relentless leadership? Yeah. You didn't say, okay, step one, you've got to stop this. Step two, you've got to start this. You've got to subscribe. You've got to yeah, whatever. And I think that's one of the missing parts in, I mean, because obviously leadership is thrown around like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's thrown around like crazy everywhere. I think that really focusing in on what does influence mean, right? So when they are all over the map and you, you mentioned about the idea of what, what causes anxiety is the world's not doing what I wanted to do, kind of going toward the um, sort of the positive inspirational side of things. Do you think of a leader who you've seen, you don't have to name him obviously, but who's kind of like gone from being, man, I'm really frustrated because the world's not doing what I wanted to do to being able to surrender. There are people that I work with that get facets of that. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a very hard thing, mm -hmm. especially if you... And there's no permanence to it either, right? No. Because we're, we're, it's not some arrival point. No, and it, but it, and you're constantly tested, right? You're constantly tested to give up that control and to recognize you don't have it and to live in that uncertainty and to live with the fact that I can't make anything happen. I can't make my company profitable. I can't make... Now, I will tell you that in the current scenario, there's a lot more people willing to talk about the concept because of the because of staffing issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because they're the reality is setting in that you're not in control and you thought you were. It's a fallacy of control. Mm. But now you understand that there aren't all these people out there. And everybody and the funny thing is is everybody wants to know why. Yeah. You know that? Everybody wants a reason. And my when I when I talk to him, I'm like, who cares? And first of all, it's a it's a wicked problem. So there's a really interesting. If you ever have a chance to look it up, there's actually a definition for a wicked problem, and it's a sociology. They use it in sociology, and one of the one of them uh, one of the components of a wicked problem is that a solution actually changes the problem to something else, like it causes a new problem. And so so the 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 challenge and what I try to get people to understand is the 
like the Great Resignation, you know, whatever they want to call it. Mm -hmm. It's a very complex issue. There are multiple things. That are, there's no one reason. There's no six reasons. Right. right. right? So, so spending all of that time and effort, and again, I go back to humility. Spending all that time and effort is ego to try to figure it out. I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm going to figure it out. There's a reason. We just got to keep studying. Meanwhile, it doesn't matter. What matters is <laughs> ahead of you, not what's behind you. Right. So what so you spend all that time and now you have the answer. You you know. You know why what does that help? Right. Right? It doesn't help anything. But it's I go back to humility. It's having the humility to know what's important. And where should I focus my effort for the greatest impact? Not I, I tell people all the time, you want to be right, you want to be successful. Sometimes you can't be both. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I wanted to do um, kind of connect that to, and it's just my imagination, Jeff, and I'm going to kind of pull you in here about with our emotions. Okay. So at various times, regardless of where you're at in your, your growth, um, some of the things, Perry, that we're talking about can cause a, a swirl, if you will, of multiple types of emotions that are coming right now in, in many situations, Jeff, right? Uh, people construe that as something to be afraid of, or it's something that causes anxiety, what have you. I heard this from Jim Vave last Thursday. We're in a session, and the question comes up. What do you do when you have all these emotions that are swirling? And I have this image in my head of, like, you know, seeing birds just continually just circling, circling, and circling. And, and this person, I mean, genuinely, what do I do when that happens? Should I... And, you know, could I do this? And should I, could I, and Jim just says, stand still, just stand still. He didn't say it to me directly, but the idea around a lot of our work is emotions are data communicating something to you, right? Not that you're going to get it all at one sitting, one session, whatever. But this idea is, is that there's a dissipation point, right? And I think so many times, Perry, we want back to the control thing. I want to stop these emotions. I want these, I, I want these three, but I don't want those eight. How do I get rid of them? And on and on and on. <laughs> so, sometimes when those birds are flying over, just hold up an umbrella. <laughs> and I, I, I know that in that sense, I, I communicate it in a way. It's like, okay, I'm going to be still. It is not about, again, it's not about here's what you do, right? And here's how you solve I've spent so much of my life chasing answers and spending very little time lingering in the question. And some of that, if not a lot of that, was rooted in my pursuit of control. Because if I get an answer, then I have what I consider to be stability, security, and all the rest, right? So what I'm leading to here is... Um, you mentioned before we came on air about vacation mm -hmm. and about some approaches you were taking and, and how historically you handle vacations. Yeah. I think that's a really good um, – because you communicated at least what I felt, Perry, was this idea of developing a new practice in order to create the kind of ground where you can grow so that when you take another vacation or you take time away or you decide today's not going to be a day where I'm going to be whatever. What are some of the ways you've personally – 
set out to do that? Was it because you saw like, hey, whenever I'm on vacation, I'm stressed and I'm not doing whatever? What what kind of said, I need to make a change? Well, I'll go back to the definition of relentless leadership. Okay. Right. So what I said was in the beginning, when you asked me, was it's talking about the art and science of making a positive impact on the emotional states of people we care about. Mm. Here's where humility comes in. I didn't do it for me. did it for my wife because I wanted to positively impact her emotional state. And that behavior became more, that goal became more important than what I was comfortable with. Wow. And that's a growth opportunity. And, and I will tell you, Lisa tells me, cause I have these conversations with her and she'll, and it's so funny because she'll say, I don't want you to change for me. And I said, I'm not changing for you. I'm changing to be a better human. I'm changing because of you, not for you. That was a mic drop audience. If you, did. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. I, I, cause th- there's something that you said there, um, that really, really, uh, leaped out to me. Um, this idea of, um, the why behind it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the motivation to do it. Right. I think what can happen and vacations are really not, uh, for those in the audience, it, it's not that we're lasering in on what do you do to have a better relaxing vacation? Because this happens in multiple areas of life, right, Perry? Mm-hmm. What was her response to that? It was by and large. I mean, she was uh, she was shocked. Like, because and I share with you, like there were a couple of days I just kind of sat by the pool and did nothing. I read read books and did, mm-hmm. but I didn't do anything. And we weren't up going places. I wasn't on my email. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. I was just being being right. Mm-hmm. And she she noticed it. She's like she kind of chuckled. She's like, this is great. This is, I've never seen you do this before. And I said, well, I'm trying to evolve, uh, you know, back to explore, experiment, evolve. I, I'm trying to evolve. And, and I think what we have to understand is that we don't believe things because they're true. They're true because we believe them. Mm. Right. And so if I believe something about myself, it's true. If I choose to believe something else, that can also be true. So we have to be very cognizant. And and I want to revisit your your example because you talked about the person who said, I want these emotions, not these. What should I do when all these things are swirling around me? I think if we go to the root of that, the the thing for that person is to understand is they were judging themselves. (laughs) They were judging the emotions. Mm -hmm. I got news for you. There are no bad emotions. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> They're all, I mean, there's a great book. It's called The Upside to Our Dark Side. We need all of those emotions, right? So we can't, we should never try to sort them out. We should never say, I only want these. In fact, I would say there is toxic positivity, right? There is such a thing as toxic positivity, yeah. you know? And, and so we have, to, we have to be able to, just like we have to sit with the quiet, we should also sit with all of our emotions and understand them. What are they telling us? Yeah. Right. I need yeah. all of those. Like I need all of those to be whole. Yeah. So I have a, a story that came to me over the last uh, few days from a dear friend who is succeeding fabulously in his company. But he is, I mean, he's a 12, 15 hour day type person. And he knows it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. And his response to me when I said kind of that, you know, this is not sustainable was I know I probably should talk to boss leader, whatever, but I don't want to appear weak. 
So let's unwrap that a little bit, not specific to him. But that mm-hmm. one thing that struck me about that, this idea that I know it's not working. I know it won't. It's not going to. Ultimately, I, I interpret it as I know I, I'm, I see a cliff mm-hmm. and I'm heading there. And the only reason why I'm not going to do anything is I don't want to appear weak. So if somebody came to you, Perry, that says, hey, this is where I'm at. And I don't want to appear weak. What would you say to them? Well, I would want to dive into why they think that mm-hmm. about themselves. Because it isn't, it, you, you have to, we have to get to the root of our own issues. Yep. Right? We have to get to the, the root of why we believe. And, and it's at some point, we're going to be strong enough to be the person we want to be and we're meant to be and not who the world tells us to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I know there's inherent risk in that. But but that's the cognitive dissonance that we all experience most days, which is just what people expect or what companies expect and what we want, right? There's a gap. And so we work to bridge that gap. And in, and in that case, with a lot of other people, they just conform. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so there's a, there's a cost to that. And by the way, it's okay. Like the, I can only if, – if people get nothing else out of this discussion – Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're doing, there's no judgment involved in that. And we should give ourselves grace when it comes to the things we're going through because we're going through them. We're the ones going through them. And we can't, we should never should on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't, I should do this. I should do, no, you, you need to do. Right? One of the, when I debriefing somebody, one of our competencies is empathy. And when you ask somebody, how much empathy do you have for yourself? I've never thought of that. Usually it's very little, mm-hmm. right? There's a great, uh, I forget who, who said it, but it's a, if the voice in your head were your friend, how long would you be friends with them? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, uh, I'm recovering, um, I don't know how I would say this, um, I'm recovering at the bad habit or the, the tendency to want to second-guess every decision I've ever made and how I could have done three steps to the left and if I would have started at, X, Y, and Z. So as a recovering person in that regard, uh, one of the things that's been most liberating for me is to understand my life as it is formed into a story. And I might have used this before on a previous show. What movie or book would you read where everything went like linear? It'd be quite boring. Right. What are the movies, the books we read that are most compelling, especially when we're talking about fictional or maybe a biography? It's when they started off in this, and then there was this great crisis, and then, and then there was this triumphantness, right, or whatever the case may be. And I think for me, it was kind of understanding that there's a level of the power of the story is most exhibited when I let the story become if I'm saying it that way, right? I'm saying it the right way. Um, because, and again, when I underline, I'm recovering because I hated that before. I mean, 15 years ago, like, no, 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 no. I've just got to, I've got to figure out what's the answer. How do I fix this? And I think sometimes when people get into this, I, I call it loop, um, they, they, they are self-judging. They, they are going, well, Nobody wants to be this, so I need to be that, right? When it comes, Perry, to the role of the employer, and I've always landed on the side of that 
you know, it's a shared responsibility thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe an employer is there to make me happy and to make everything go the way I want it to go and provide me with whatever. However, when this friend of mine had, had made this comment to me, these comments, I thought, well, what role do they have? I mean, they're watching it. I mean, 12 to 15 hours a week, you know, that, that's a lot. I mean, does a leader have a responsibility to say, well, let's time out. Let's, let's look at what we're doing here because I don't think 12 or 15 hours a week is really healthy. Do you, and Jeff, I'll throw you into this too. Do, you, do, you th do they share some responsibility in this kind of thing? I think there's two sides to it. One is, yeah, probably, but I think the employee probably has the biggest responsibility. And I also think that um, there has to be clarification on if, it's that, if that's being overtly expected. Right. Because a lot of this could be inferred mm -hmm. from the employee. Yep. Well, I need to do this because that's what they want. Well, do they? Maybe if you said, look, there's more work than here than I can get done, and I'm working 12 to 15-hour days, uh, the leader might say, hold on. That was not our intention. Like, what's, what's, what's wrong here? Like, if there's something wrong, let me know. You know, maybe we can read, but, but there has to be a certain level of transparency and communication. You will not believe the number of times that I meet with people and they, they walk through this issue, any issue, right? That involves another human. And they get done and I say, all right, did you tell them what you just told me? And 99% of the time, the response is, well, no. <laughs> okay, well, how are they supposed to know? You just, you assume they do. Like you, you're, you're certain they know because you know, but you can't, if I, if I had to give you an oath right now, could you swear that they know? <laughs> well, no, but they should. Okay. I understand that. But if I don't know what's going on, I can't fix it. Like I can't help. I can't be part of the solution if I'm not aware there's a problem. Yeah. And so part of it, I think is just the, the transparency and the willingness to have that conversation with whoever. About whatever. Yeah, because uh, in fairness to the employers out there, they may only be looking at it from a results perspective. If the project was due in a certain amount of time and it came in on time, they may very well not go, well, how many hours did it take you to do this? How many hours were you working on average? Um, matter of fact, I'd almost dare say they probably wouldn't because yeah. they're measuring it by project was due on X date, the project has been delivered, Let's move on to the next thing. And and maybe he's being rewarded for working all those hours, but he's not very efficient. Another one of those areas of... I mean, uh, it's just, there's all of those, and, and none of those are the, there's no single answer to that. Right. But the challenge, again, I'm, I'm reading this really great book right now. It's called, I Think Therefore I'm Wrong. Right? <laughs> That's a great title. And, and part of what he's talking about is all the cognitive biases that we have. Mm -hmm. And so our willingness to step away from a, uh, an issue that we're facing and actually look at all of the components yeah. and understand that there's probably a half a dozen of them that are at play, not one, not two, not three. Yeah. And so it's not, we have the, if, again, we need to get rid of binary thinking, right? Our, our brain defaults to binary thinking. It's either or. Right. And so in that case, even the way you phrase the question, what share is it the employer or the employee? Again, that, that there's a false dichotomy. Right. It's non-dualistic and true. Right. But, yeah. but our brain, it isn't. And part of relentless leadership is there's a whole section on how our brain works. Mm -hmm. Because we have to understand that for all can, most won't, few do. 
it, most people won't do the work to figure out that they're not actually in control, their brain is. And those are two very different things because we can be, we can be in charge of our brain, but if we're, if we're not careful, our brain's in charge of us. Yeah. And, um, that's a good, uh, pivot point too, Perry, because I wanted to talk a little bit about neuroscience and growth and, um, in a talk that I gave a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the things that I laid out, uh, in brief was about the power that the brain has in determining whether or not you will make a change or you will decide to go left, go right or whatever. Yeah. And about how ultimately our, our brains are working to make our lives easy and efficient. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just and you know, safe and safe. Right. Yeah. And the idea being right. So, um, my example is a lead into this growth in our bathroom. Yeah. Uh, we used to, in, in the area where the sinks were, we used to have a, a, a big clock. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I would use this clock to determine how nervous I would be about how late I was running. Right. And I would have this plotted strategy of, okay, all right, if I get finished washing and shaving here, I should probably, I'll, I'll be out the door in about five minutes and I could look up at the clock. Well, my wife, who is the is the decorator uh, in our family, basically said, we're getting rid of the clock. We don't need a clock anymore. That was about two months ago. Okay. Now, in the beginning, Perry, uh, Jeff, I would find myself looking up to the, where the clock was because that's that was my default. Okay, I'm shaving. What time is it? Okay, I've got, all right, boom, a couple days, a week, a month. I did it this morning, two months later. Now, we've talked to, to maybe the exhaustion about the idea of neural pathways, mm -hmm. right, and what we do. Um, though there's no true science behind what I'm saying uh, in this uh, as much as one thing is very clear to me that my brain was using that, okay, this is easy. You see that you've got 20 minutes. If you finish shaving in five, you look up to see where you're at. You're at three because that would make my life efficient. That would make okay, I know I, this is easy. I know I look at the clock, blah, blah, blah. So you mentioned about the idea about not knowing, and I don't know if you said exactly like this, but this idea of not knowing what role your, your brain is playing mm -hmm. in this game of life we're in, um, as it relates to growth. And, and I heard, I heard this guy, Andrew Huberman. I don't know if you've heard of him. It's Huberman lab is his podcast It's fantastic podcast. And he talks about when people, for example, are starting a new habit or wanting to break a habit, they encounter something called limbic friction. Mm -hmm. This, and I used to term it as your brain's resisting, resisting change. So can you talk a little bit about, and even if it's outside of relentless leadership, what are some of the things that you feel like, hey, you could tell our audience that, how can I get more, how can I get to know my brain better? How about that? Well, I think you just, you know, I, I think you just mentioned one, which is a podcast or, okay. you know, and I think it's, but I think that we, the first, the, so we got to get a baseline. Yep. So as far as science will tell you, if you do a lot of reading that our brains, the brain we currently operate with was, was got to its current state. It depends on who you read somewhere 20 to 50,000 years ago. Like, so our brain hasn't changed. Right since then. Mm -hmm. Well, so it was formed to help us live in a group of 75 to 100 people and be a hunter-gatherer. 
with, that's, with wild animals right, coming after you. Right. So so that was our environment. And and by the way, if we were if we were outcast, we died. If we weren't accepted in society, we died. If we, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, so that's what our brain does. Our brain works on the triad of motivation: pleasure, avoid pain, conserve energy. That's what our brain does. So we're not. Our brain is not meant to operate in our world. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, it's just realization that. I should question the stuff that I think. That's it. Just, just, just ask yourself, why do I think this? Is this? Why do you think people eat the way they eat? It's because our brain's saying high, dense, caloric things are good because we don't know when we're going to eat again. Because our brain existed then, so you didn't eat all the time. Like you, you weren't able to do that. And so we make lots of decisions, and we think we're thinking, but we're not. And so it's just the understanding, I guess, the, the first thing I would just tell people is just don't believe everything you think. Yes. And um, I, I know that even when I had posed this to you before the show um, about neuroscience, I, this, this can be a really deep river. <laughs> However, you, you make some really good points there, Perry. Of, and the thing that's leaping out to me is about don't believe everything you think, right? Where do you believe, because I, I used, when I, you've told me this before about the brain being, it hasn't evolved after yeah. this 20,000 years or what have you. And I used to think, well, but isn't it capable of doing the job that we need it to do? Yes. But you really, you, you gave me the missing link in what you said to me. I'm, and I'm talking about when you and I had these one-on-ones right. kind of discussion, but it's this idea of, are we questioning what we're thinking? And it kind of comes to that, and we've had this, Jeff, where we talked about the idea of like asking yourself, is what am I thinking? Is what I'm thinking right now true? And then I add to it because I know who I am. Is it really true? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, is it true? And is it really true? And I think that's, I mean, that's a phenomenal way from a base level to begin to okay, or, or question that, question it a little bit. Um, what role happens once we get past that, right? So if I've, if I've developed a practice where I'm consistently asking myself, mm-hmm. obviously there's going to be some things that will dissipate, go away potentially, right? And there'll be things you'll add on or whatever. Um, how do we keep it healthy? What's one way that, or two, that maybe you'd say we can keep it a, a healthy relationship? Or healthy relationship with? Our brain and how we interact with our brain. Well, I think, again, it goes back to, you know, you, you, you've, you, we clear the first hurdle, yep. right? So we, we're questioning everything that we think we're yep. not, we're not believing everything, yep. but the next then in that gap, what, what are we thinking? Mm. So I'm not thinking, I'm going to question this stuff that I'm thinking, but then am I purposely putting the thoughts in there that I want? And it, and it goes back to, am, am I making the decisions that I can make to further myself towards my goal? And, and, and back to relentless leadership, right? So to me, the biggest thing we can do is have a positive impact on the emotional states of people we care about, right? And so if I really, if, if, that, if that becomes my driver, if I want to do that, because I'm of the opinion that every interaction I have, this part of relentless leadership, every interaction I have is binary. This is one of the few times I accept binary thinking. Because in every interaction I have, I'm doing one of two things. I'm going to build somebody up or I'm going to tear them down. There is no middle ground. Nobody leaves a conversation going, I feel about the same, <laughs> right? So we have a yeah. choice. We have a choice to be able to, when I go into an interaction, is my goal 
to make that person, to build that person up. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the toxic positivity or the rose colored glasses, because I might have to have a difficult conversation and tell that person something they don't want to hear right. or their but, but I'm trying to help them. Yep. Yeah. Right. The motivation. So, am I doing mm-hmm. that or am I just acting in a way that satisfies me? Mm. And, and, and back to your question earlier, I guess that aligns with this is we talked about growth, right? Our brain resists growth. It resists growth because it hurts. Yep. It takes more energy. Our brain, um, it only takes up two to 3% of our body mass and it requires 25% of our resting caloric intake to run. So our brain conserves energy. Thinking actually hurts. It, it, it taxes us. So therefore, we don't do it too often because our brain doesn't want to. Our brain doesn't want to think about it. That's why all these cognitive biases exist because they're shortcuts. We don't have to think, right? So yeah. to, to your point, how do you keep it healthy? The investment, now I'm going to go all the way back around the barn to the thing we started with, which is our health. We have to stay healthy and full of energy because that energy is required to think. Mm-hmm. So if we're not, if we're worn out, if we're working 12 to 15 hours a day, I got news for you. There's not a lot of thinking going on there. Wow. Because, and then what happens is we have ego depletion, right? So if I am managing my behavior and all of that effort during the day to, to be civil to the people that I'm working with, even though I think they're an idiot or a moron, then we go home and what, what does our family get? They get pure unfiltered me. Because all of that's gone. Like, I don't have, all of my defenses are gone now. I've used it all up on the people at work. So now you're just going to get whatever you get. So we say, we treat the people in our lives that are most important the worst. Because we spend all of our energy to be civil to the people that don't matter. Powerful. So that brings me to, um, you had said earlier um, a couple of times about those that we care most about. And, and that certainly comes to mind family, close friends, on and on and on. But I think it also has to do, I know in our world, um, and probably yours too, your audience, those who depend on you when they're in that meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And what you bring to them. And in between my the first book I wrote and the second book, there was almost 10 years. And I, I got the inevitable question. Why did it take so long to write? And I, I just, I didn't have anything to say. And I didn't want to write something just to write something. And I, that care, and I know the, the work that we do beyond the podcast, is rooted around, are we going to be able to, to offer something of value to them? I mean, because anybody can go and get something. I mean, if you chase hard enough, you, you, you're clever enough, lie enough, whatever it is you're, you're going to use. But that care piece is really, really big, Perry, and certainly – you're right. I, th- I think we would do well to pay more attention to those that are in our closest inner circle than necessarily our work and our business pursuits. Because I think by default, a lot of times those business pursuits do get some of the best of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So um, when you think about just practical resources, I-, I mentioned Andrew Huberman and the Huberman Lab uh, podcast. Are there any books or podcasts that you find helpful? I mean, I know you're a ferocious consumer of, and reader and all that, but what would um, you throw out there for, for the audience? Yeah, I think that, um, so there's a couple, there's a couple podcasts I listen to regularly. Uh, one of them is being a better human. That's mm-hmm. the name of the podcast. Okay. Uh, the science of success is another one. Um, 
I just listened, and I know that the title's a little off-putting, but The Art of Manliness um, that actually has really good episodes. I just listened to a discussion, our discussion on uh, Kierkegaard, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that, I think it depends on, it, it, I look at this and I, I would have to know more about the person I want to know because I want to know how long do you want to, you know, because some of them are 20 minutes, some of them. Um, a really nice one that's uplifting is uh, Cynics, A Bit of Optimism. So huh. Simon Sinek does one called A Bit of Optimism, okay. and it's only like 20, 25 minutes an episode. So it's a nice little bite-sized. Yeah. 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 Some of these are like an hour, so you got to. Well, yeah, that's you know. the warning for those of you out there that are interested in Andrew Huberman. It's typically two hours minimum with this Might guy. Might break that up into a couple of sessions, a <laughs> yeah. couple of listening yeah. sessions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's great. Um, how about books? Um, you mentioned one earlier, and I'm I'm forgetting what it was. It was something about uh, your brain. What, what what was that? And if it's and our wonderful producer Brett will have this all of this information in the show notes. Well, I'll tell you the one I just finished it. There's I've actually read a couple books about neuroscience and coaching. Okay, and so those I don't know that they're for everybody. You know, they're, right. they're, but I will tell you that I just read one called The Curse of the Self. It's a it's it's heavy reading, mm-hmm. um, but it's really insightful, right? The other one that I'm reading right now, I'm about two thirds of the way through. I'd recommend everybody, which is I think therefore I am wrong. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Sorry. And uh, then yeah. the other one that I that I think is fantastic is called the gap and the gain. Okay. Um, and so it, it's very interesting because what they talk about is that we live, we should live in the gain and we live in the gap. You know, the gap is we is you know we have the starting state, our current state, and our ideal state. So those two things on both sides of this equation. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, is our, our current state is often inspired by our ideal state. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. But then our measurement always happens between where we are and where we are ideal. And so that's the gap. And we live in the gap, it's very negative because it's, like ch- it's like saying the horizon is my goal. I can continue to chase it, but I never get there. So I'm always in a state of failure. What, what the author says is that we have the same component over here with the gain, but we always measure backwards. Measure from where we started, not from where we're going. Because then I live in the gain, which is much more positive and uplifting and supportive as opposed to living in a constant state of failure. And that's yeah. impactful for us as individuals and also in organizations, because if we're always saying, yes, we're doing well, but we haven't reached our goal yet, but we still got to do this, but we still got to do that. And then we wonder why people um, get depressed. So we hear a lot about dopamine and typically it gets the bad rap because they associate it with social media and that, hey, if you're scrolling through social media, you're just doing it to get the dopamine hit, blah, blah, blah. But there's something very positive about dopamine because it it also has a facet of helping us be motivated, Mm -hmm. right? And what you were just saying there, I think is key because if we're always out on, use the horizon analogy, which is great. If I'm always, it's the horizon it's very difficult to celebrate and be motivated within the journey and the wins that you get as you're moving toward that. Right. That, and that's what kind of, it made me think about that. Um, so want to pivot as we get to the close here and we could go on, we could have a two hour podcast, Jeff, I think. Um, but, um, talk a little bit about the relentless is it Relentless Leadership Academy or? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's, well, that's what's, what we, what's, what's that all about? Um, well, so I, as I said, we, um, I've been doing this for about a year and a half, two years now with companies. And then I figured that, you know, that's great, but there's a limited capacity right there. I can't do this with, with enough people right. to get the word out there. So what I did is I created, I guess you call it a product. Mm-hmm. So I created, um, I took all 17 modules 
um, did videos for all of them, all the contents there, and it's packaged so that an individual can just go out and access it on their own and go through it at their own pace. Self-directed type yep. deal. And then it's also, I've also talked to companies who may buy, you know, multiple licenses for their folks, and then somebody there will facilitate it, like their leader oh. will facilitate it. Mm-hmm. But it but it makes it accessible to everybody. Like anybody can go, you can go at your own pace. There's no, you know, all the kind, con- if you want to blow through it, then you can blow through it. If you go back and, you know, you can go back and uh, revisit it, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah, there's, so the, the delivery method is just uh, more or less an individual class, I guess mm-hmm. you could call it, yep. just content you can access on your own. Okay. All right. And we'll have information on that in the show notes as well. Uh, so Perry's contact information will be there if you want to learn more about Relentless Leadership or some of the other cool things uh, that he's into. And um, certainly, Perry, um, it was two years ago, I think you were on the show, because I got other things I, I got brewing in my head as we were talking here that I want to I want to have your input on and uh, your thoughts. But time is not on our side. <laughs> so with that, thank you for being with us. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And audience, we do appreciate your time and that you're tuning in and we look forward to the next. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them, so... Reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. But, all right. But, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based And it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.